Hello and welcome to the Every Nation Twane Moikluf podcast. We trust that you'll enjoy today's message with us. Good morning, family. Thank you for the enthusiasm, those who have greeted me. Yes, yes. Everyone is making some funny con- comments now exactly what we're talking about this morning. We're in week three of our series, There's More to Relationships. And the whole series, that, that statement, there's more to relationships, what do we mean? We mean, we mean this. Relationships is a part of the fabric of our society. And we're living in a world that's been greatly influenced by non-Christian views. And therefore, our understanding of relationships often fall way short of what God really intended it to be. There's much more to it. So we're hoping that throughout this series, we're going to see that as we embrace God's truth on all relationships, every single part of our relationships, that God will be glorified, mankind will be regenerated or healed, and then we will witness to the world. That's what, we're, that's what we're hoping to do. That's what we mean when we say there's more to relationships. So in week one, uh, Philip served us with the word, uh, there's more to singleness. There was more to our singleness. Um, Quentin so terribly isolated all the single men a little bit earlier. My apologies on behalf of Quentin. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But we, we often see singleness as like a, like a sentence, right? There's something wrong with you, that's why you're not married yet. Or, you know, once you, know, once you find the perfect person, or, you know, work on yourself. Why are you single? All those things that the churches say. When you look at, at what scripture and what God is teaching us on singleness, singleness is a gift. It's a gift, oftentimes for just a season, oftentimes for a lifetime, to serve God with, to be able to dedicate yourself fully to God. So you're welcome to go listen to that on on Apple Podcasts. Week two, Renee, last week, there's more to our friendships. And we saw in friendship that our first friendship we're called to cultivate is friendship with God. It's friendship with God. And when you have that friendship, you become so secure in all of your other relationships that you start seeing how your friendships are reflecting the influence that Jesus Christ is having on your life. Can you imagine if our friendships reflected the kind of way that God is befriending us to the world? Can you, can you imagine what the world would look like? I mean, friendship is the bedrock of, of all relationships. It's, 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 you, cannot, you cannot have a healthy marriage if you can't have friendship. You cannot have healthy working relationships if you, if you don't have friendship. It's the bedrock of our society, so you're welcome to listen to that. But this week... We're talking about there's more to sexuality. Yes, we're talking about sex. So for the parents who have children staying here, who have not yet had an uncomfortable conversation with them, and you're not planning on having it now, our kids' church is amazing. Okay. Because on your way home, you're going to have to have that conversation following this message. Just, Just a warning. (laughs) <laughs> just, a, just a disclaimer. There's the disclaimer right there. All right. But what we're trusting from this message 
If we, if we would be willing to accept Christ's standard and truth for our sexuality, we will most definitely glorify him. And it'll most certainly heal you, heal our whole society on so many levels that I cannot even touch on in this message. And it will witness to the world. And that's what we're trusting for. So when I say sexuality, what do I mean? I don't just mean the action of sex, though, yes, I mean that. But the word sexuality is actually a reference both to our sexual attractions and actions. It's both our feelings and behavior sexually that I'm going to be talking about this morning. But I need help from on high. So let's close our eyes and we invite the Lord to speak to us. Father, I thank you so much for this incredible gift of sexuality. And I thank you, Lord, that you come and you make it whole. I know that the more we have embraced society or the secular worldview on sexuality, the more it has hurt us, it has damaged us and broken us. And Father, there might be some of us this morning who walk with that brokenness, who sit with that brokenness. I pray that this message will heal them. Come and heal us. Heal us as a congregation. Heal us as a society, as a people. We're willing to accept your standard. We just sang, you are holy. We just saw nations bow before you in the songs that we're singing. We're proclaiming this. But now we're willing to bend the knee and say, Lord, you come and define our sexuality. You come and speak to us your truth. Liberate us. Glorify yourself, Lord, and heal us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 13, to chapter 7, verse 2. If you have your Bibles, it would be great if you uh, could take it out. Um, I'm going to often refer back to the Scripture when it's not going to be on the screen, so it'll be good for you to be able to see it then in those moments. And you're going to pick up immediately as we're reading through the Scripture, the church of Corinth wrote a letter to Paul because it was really a church in total turmoil. It was, there, was, it, it, there were horrible things happening in Corinth. So Corinth was on, a, on an interesting piece of land where sailors would dock and then they would just have fun. And then they would go out again. So it was like the sailor town. It was, it was a pretty wealthy town, but it was a sailor's town. And so if you just, just imagine sailors who are six months at sea and then they come back. Uh, they were just men. And then they come back. And now they come to church. There was trouble. All right. So Paul is addressing some sexual issues they wrote to him about in this passage. Let's read 1 Corinthians 6, verse 13 to 7, verse 2. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by His power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. 
every other sin is a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Chapter 7. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. All right. In the scripture, there's two prevailing views that the church, well, actually the people of Corinth, modern Greek, but back then, ancient Greek, what they have regarding sexuality. The first view was sex is consumerism. Verse 13, the stomach is meant for food. In other words, I feel hungry, I eat. I feel sexy, I have sex. It's how it works. Whenever I feel it, and if there's someone willing to go with it, I must give my body what it desires, what it needs, what is, what is its basic human need. And so the view was that since both food and sex are just natural body processes, they have no abiding significance and therefore no moral consequence. Now this is obviously still an extremely wide-held view today, right? You can't watch a good movie or a story without it having some sexual romance. Uh, whether you're in the West, whether you're in Africa, whether you're in the East, no matter where you are, you'll always find this view. And it says sexual attraction. It's just a natural response to my body, to beauty. And when I feel it and someone is willing to eat with me, we feast. Now, the second view that Paul was addressing in this scripture uh, comes in chapter 7, verse 1. And it's uh, when the Corinthian church said, it's, it's not good, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations. All right, it was this complete abstinence view. This sex is dirty, it is, it is evil, it's shameful. And it had, its, it had a lot of its roots in Plato. Plato's view was uh, everything of the soul, everything of the spirit is good. You must embrace that. But everything of the flesh, everything of the world is bad. Everything. Sex is of the body. It's of the flesh. It's bad. So just deny it. Don't even get married. Just, just abstain for the rest of your life. Now, maybe not in the same way, but in, in different ways, that view is still widely held among Christians today. It's basically the view that says sex is shameful. It's a dirty deed. It's, it shouldn't be preached on from the pulpit, Right? Maybe there's some of, some of you from a certain background here this morning when you heard we're speaking about sexuality. You say, don't defile the pulpit, Christian, this morning. That's a dirty and shameful topic to speak about. Friends, the world is talking about sex very loudly, very unbiblically. We as Christians have to speak about this in a very biblical way. I really hope that the first person to speak to our children about sex is not a movie or a social media post, or a teacher, but us as parents who love the Lord. So, how does Paul, how does he respond to these two extreme views? Well, firstly, he corrects our understanding of what sex is. It is not just physical. It is spiritual and it is transformative. That's, that's the first thing you need to understand about sex. In verse 16, it says when you have sex, it says when you, when you become physically one, 
then you shall become one flesh. Okay, now is he repeating himself? He's saying when two become one flesh, then two become one flesh. No, it's referring to something greater. This is a reference to Genesis, and it basically means two things. Firstly, I'm going to start sticking this paper with Brit. Philip gave me this great idea of an illustration last night, and I'm going to do it. Here we go. Firstly, this term flesh, that two shall become one flesh, means embodied personhood. It means that transformation is going to happen. Sex is going to change you. It's going to stick you to another person. It's, it's going to be an act of the whole person. It's not just going to be physical. It's going to be the full giving of yourself, the whole self, to the person whom you're giving yourself to. It's going to be giving yourself on an emotional level. You're going to give yourself on a social level. You're going to give yourself on an economical level. And therefore, do not give sex unless you are willing to give yourself on a legal level. Unless you are willing to, sell, to give yourself the, the whole of you. God meant physical oneness to be a bearer and a vehicle and a confirmation of whole life oneness. It's firstly what is meant by two becoming one flesh. Secondly, to have this whole life oneness and to actually make it work, God created sex to also fuse us spiritually. It, it has this soul binding, spiritually binding effect that God created it to have. And it means to bind us in a way that would keep us together no matter what, so that we can enter this transformative process that is whole life oneness. I want to give you an analogy. Marriage, therefore, is like a gem tumbler. Now, a gem tumbler, what you do is you put two gems in the gem tumbler or more, and the machine starts tumbling the stones, right? And they hit each other. And the more they hit each other, the more every single rough edge is being chipped away, slowly but surely. All the rough edges are being chipped away. And this, there's this, this constant but creative conflict between the gems. And the more they chip away, the more brilliant it becomes. Now marriage, the marital covenant, is the walls of the tumbler. It keeps us in the tumbler. If it weren't for the walls, then whenever the conflict feels uncomfortable, I just back away. I just run away. Right? But marriage was meant to be a creative conflict that creates. It was meant to chip away all the rough edges. Now there's a danger that the gems could break. They could break each other in the tumbler. If a tumbler is too much, if it's, the gems could totally break. So, professional jewel handlers, and specifically when they work with diamonds, because diamonds are so, so hard, you put a compound in the tumbler that would keep the gems from falling apart. Sex is the compound. Sex is the compound that, that keeps us from breaking. Because when you are giving yourself in a sexual matter, you are saying, 
I belong exclusively to you. All my weaknesses, all my flaws, I make known to you. And I will grow in learning to trust, learning to be vulnerable, and learning to commit myself more fully to you, no matter how much the tumbling is happening. No matter how, mu how, much of my, how many of my rough edges are breaking off, no matter, my soul is one with you. And we will not fall apart because I love you. That is what sex is. It's that compound. And so God, in giving us sex, is saying, never get physically naked. Never get physically vulnerable until you have the covenant commitment, the walls to become spiritually, legally, economically, socially, emotionally vulnerable and naked. Don't give yourself, don't give yourself physically if you're not willing to give your whole self, if you're not willing to walk through this covenant. Don't ever abstract the product from the person. We must never commodify sex that says, I want your body, but I don't want you. Now if we do that, if we do that, outside of marital covenant, sex will have the exact opposite effect that it is meant to have in the marriage. Where sex in marriage is meant to keep us together within the confines of covenant, to strengthen our ability to trust and be vulnerable and to commit outside of the marriage, it'll break our trust. It'll break our ability to commit, to trust, to be vulnerable. And there's a piece of me that stays behind and there's a piece of another person that comes with me and now, like this, a person with broken trust, broken vulnerability, a person who, who struggles with commitment issues must now enter another relationship. And then, I try and give myself again. And the process will continue until how much of my ability to commit, how much of my ability to trust, how much of my ability to be vulnerable is left over. I cannot tell you, friends, I've, just, I've been in ministry for just nine years. It's not that much compared to uh, some, some others. And I, I cannot tell you how many times I've met people who have commitment issues, they struggle with trust, they have vulnerability issues and struggles that have either been greatly caused or terribly aggravated by sexual immorality. Verse 18 says, sexual immorality is a sin against your own body and it damages your body in a way that other sins don't. It's not like it's a more grievous sin to God than other sins. I mean, the ultimate consequence of all sin is the same, but it is saying that here on earth you will bear a consequence that's going to be more direct to your body, it's going to be more damaging than other sins if we engage in sexual immorality. Now, I've heard this many times saying, yes, Christian, but I'm in a committed relationship and I do love the person. Why can we not have sex? I'm going to get married to this person one day. I'm sure you're committed to them. I'm, sure, I'm not saying you don't love someone. 
But I do want us then to, to admit something we haven't given ourselves. You've, you've reserved the right to step out at any moment when this relationship is no longer suiting you and you have commodified sex. You have told the person, I want your body, but I don't want you. And you're trying, you're trying, but you're, you're still in a consumer-based relationship. Now, I've also heard another one that says, come on, Christian, this is so old school. Like this, get with the times. We're in modern times. This is 2,000 years ago. Things have changed. Society have changed. Now, whenever anyone tells me that because culture is changing, we must adapt, Christianity must change with it, then I know what you're assuming is that culture wrote the Bible. What you're assuming is that in 2,000 years ago, some peanut sat there thought his culture and society is the absolute greatest. Let me write down my cultural and societal practices so that people must forever do it. Friends, cultural society did not write the Bible. Sexual immorality in the Roman world was just as terrible as it is today, if not worse. You know that the Romans had pornography painted on cups that children had to drink from. Men on men, on the cup. It was, they were, it, was hor it was horrible. This commentator after commentator, New, New Testament scholar F.F. F. Bruce points out this view of the Bible, that sex is the profound giving of oneself, a full personate unification was so radically different from cultural norms 2,000 years ago that it could only have been divine inspiration. There was not a single cultural society that was pushing this as a view for sexuality. Not back then and not now. It's only the Christian view. This is not, the Bible was not written by society, it was not written by culture. It's divinely inspired by God and it is as applicable today as it was back then and it will be as applicable for the next thousand years and for the next millennia to come. So, when there's any sexual action outside of marriage, then we are abusing, dishonoring, and destroying this incredible person-shaping, spiritually binding commitment mechanism of deep soul nurture and personal transformation that is sex. So why? Why does society do this? Why does society commodify sex with the destructive effects? Well, let's look at that. If we would assume this view of both marriage and sex, okay, that is the complete giving of oneself in a covenant relationship with no way out for the rest of time on earth because it messes us spiritually, how then does one make the right decision for a marriage partner? How are you going to make the right decision? So for the sake of uh, having a, a cool progress, and, and there's been some uh, scholars who wrote on this, if you look at the four Greek words for love, Agape, phileo, storge, and eros. In those four Greek words, those four levels, that process of love, there's a natural process of relational growth. Firstly, we've got agape love. This is God's complete, non, it is um, unconditional, perfect love. Agape love. So step one of finding a spouse. Know God's love. 
when you know God's love, and you know that unconditional love, you're only ever going to give in a relationship what you have. If you don't have God's love, you don't have an understanding of unconditional giving of yourself, you're not going to have a healthy marriage. You're not going to know what to give. Step one, agape love. Step two, we go over to phileo. It's a friendship love. It's a brotherly, affectionate love. It's a, you get to know someone. You grow in knowing who they are. You grow in getting to know their character. What kind of person am I, am I here spending time with? Am I getting to know? Am I in friendship with? Oh, and then it starts becoming a little bit of a storge love, which is familial. There's, there's greater affection and understanding, and, and there's, there's, there's a desire to know more, even more and more. It becomes commitment. And only then do we start experiencing eros, the erotic love towards someone. Because now I am attracted to what I have come to know about someone, what I have come to discover about the person. And what commodifying sex does is it skips all three first loves out the window. And we jump straight to Eros. And now we don't know how to build healthy friendships. We don't know how to cultivate good character or how to look for good character. And so it leads to the destruction of relationships and ultimately this world we have seen in the past 30, 40 years, the greatest increase in divorce rate globally than we have ever seen in the history of marriage. Now, if erotic love is not based on a knowledge of person's character and who they are, then what is it based on? Attraction and need, right? We have a God-given need and desire for connection and we are also attracted to a certain kind of person. What kind of person? A beautiful person. A person that we find good looking. People who make me feel good. People who are willing to meet my need for connection. Beauty. I want to tell you what the Bible says about beauty. My apologies for the picture that's about to come up. It paints the picture quite vividly, but Proverbs 11 verse 22 says, like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. Wow. <laughs> okay. Here's, here's how this works, okay? Because this is, this is, it's saying a beautiful woman without discretion. But it is so profoundly applicable to, to men. Here's how it works. You see something beautiful? Men, you see something beautiful? You see a gold ring, right? You see beautiful, beauty, gold ring. You want to reach out? You want to grab that gold ring, right? Eros, sexual immorality, here we go. Gold ring, boom, and I've got a big mess on my lap. Stuck with a pig. Not calling ladies pigs. It's an analogy of terrible character. It's an analogy of bad character. It's, the scripture is about not knowing. You never knew. You never took the time to understand who the person was you're getting involved with. Just based on the shallowness of beauty, you, 
you grabbed out of, you, you grabbed out, you reached out, and you grabbed it, and you pulled it closer, and you're stuck with a mess. Our attractions, our desires as people are out of whack. We cannot just trust attraction to make decisions that will impact and influence the rest of our lives. We're out of whack. I've, I know of a person, they've been diagnosed with emphysema on the lungs because caused of smoking for a long time in their life they've been smoking. And the doctor says, you've got to stop now. Every time you smoke, you're shortening your lifespan with another year, another year, another year. You've got to stop. Okay, the person says. They go home. Do they stop? <laughs> no. They keep smoking. They desire it. They crave it. They want it so badly. And living by that desire, living by attraction, living by feeling, in the end then becomes our killers, our destroyers. Man, this sexual immorality and making this decision just based on traction, based on eros, it has affected our whole society. Currently in South Africa, where we have multiple cultures, multiple ethnicities, we've got Western influence, we've got African influence, we've got Eastern influence. In South Africa, over 60% of all children born in South Africa do not have a father registered on their birth certificates. It was sexual immorality. So often. And what living by attraction and beauty has done is deeply damaged our male-female relationships. Men leave their wives at older age for younger women, more beautiful, more attractive, right? Women place so much into their physical appearance. They often feel like they'll never be beautiful enough, never satisfied with what you look like. And the older you get, the older we get, the more dissatisfied, the more insecure. When our relationships are made on this basis, and don't worry, I'm preaching on this in two weeks at the youth ministry as well. So youth parents can take a deep breath. Our relationships are profoundly shallow. It's led to being unable to cultivate building thriving, lasting marriages. Proverbs 31 verse 30 is largely a counter to this view, right? It says, charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Now, charm is me putting my best foot forward, right? But if you like me based on my charm, guess what? You don't know the whole me. You don't, you don't know the rest of me. It's deceiving, right? That first couple of weeks or months in the dating relationships, very deceiving. His charm is deceptive. And beauty is fleeting. I just mentioned it. 25, you're not going to look the same at 55. It's the reality of life. But a woman who fears the Lord, true beauty, the beauty that God sees, the beauty that builds lasting marriages, lasting relationships, is the person who fears the Lord, who loves the Lord. So, by keeping sex exclusively for the marriage covenant, we're not, 
We're challenged to look for someone based on their character. We're challenged to be transformed into someone in our character who fears the Lord, who loves the Lord. So if both consumerism and the platonic view of sex has so damaged us, then what is the solution? How do we heal? What will heal us? Here, I want to invite Vianney, uh, if you can join me up on, on stage to see with her child, maybe, all right. Not a problem. Um, Marnie's got me. Oh, is she, is she there? Okay. Thanks, Marnie. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18 says, flee sexual immorality. I've got a little bit of bad news. You're not going to want to flee sexual immorality when the clothes start flying off. That's not the point where you decide to flee. You decide to flee long before that. You decide to flee when you are willing to confess ungodly actions and ungodly attractions. You decide to flee when you already ask God to, make, to help you make sense of attractions that you're not supposed to feel. That's when you're fleeing sexual immorality. It's when we recognize that our attractions are a legitimate need for connection and beauty that can never be satisfied by any other person but by connection with Christ. And here comes the crux of it. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 17 it says, who is, He who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with Him. Verse 19 says, do you not know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? You house the presence, the being of God. You're not your own, but you were bought with a price. Glorify God with your body. What will heal us is recognizing marriage and sex for what it really is. It's a signpost, friends. It's a signpost. Marriage and sex says, come, look at me this way this way the deep spiritual connection that we've been created to experience that that marriage and sex gives us a taste of points to an even greater experience of spiritual oneness that God desires with us now we say but Christian you said that sex is giving one's whole self to someone else Marriage is giving my full self. And I, don't, I can't do that with God. I fail. I constantly fall short. When I look at my life, I'm not, everything's not given to God. I'm not fully given to God. How am I ever going to experience that deep spiritual oneness that God desires to have with me? Here's how. Jesus came to give himself to God on your behalf. You see, our sexual immorality and faithfulness connects us to the world. And when Jesus came, he lived completely holy and faithful to God. And in the end, Jesus Christ was treated as one who was completely unfaithful and immoral. Jesus Christ came and in the flesh he was the father giving his whole self 
to mankind, revealing all that He is. God saying, this is my beloved son. This is what I am like. Look at him and you will know me. And the son says, I give myself to you, my people. You are the joy for which I have come. You are the joy that constantly motivates my faithfulness, my holiness towards the father. The scripture was saying, those who believe house the spirit of God. They do not belong to anyone. They're not mastered by anyone. They don't, they're not bound to any, anyone or anything else. This is why Paul is so adamant. This sin, don't you know that when you bind yourself sexually, immorally, that you're threatening to, to be mastered by someone else, by something else? Don't do it. It will destroy you. You are bound to Christ. You are one with Christ. You are made whole in Christ. Because Jesus was treated as one who was immoral, as one who was unfaithful. Do you know why we're so fixated on beauty? Men, women, why we're so attracted to beauty? One of the reasons psychologists say we're so attracted to beauty is because we know that on the inside, we're ugly. We're, we're ashamed. We're guilty. On the inside, we feel like we haven't lived up. So maybe if I'm great looking on the outside, or maybe if I'm in a relationship with someone who is great looking, maybe that'll cover the unsightliness of my insights. Another reason why psychologists say we're so attracted to beauty and we're trying to escape it is because we don't want to admit our mortality. We're aging. We're not going to live forever. We're not getting more and more beautiful. We're getting more and more externally non-beautiful. <laughs> and we don't want to admit that. We fear death. We fear the direction this is going. Jesus, when he became a man, he didn't take up the form of external beauty. Isaiah 53 says he had no form of majesty that we should look at him. He had no beauty that we should desire him. But the God in the sight of God who searches the heart of man, Jesus was perfect and radiant. And in the end, Jesus came for the great exchange. He came to exchange our ungodliness for his beauty, our ugliness for his beauty, our death for his eternal life, our unfaithfulness for his faithfulness, our immorality for his holiness, our alienation from God for his spiritual union. Our lostness for his faithfulness so that when God looks at us, when the Father looks at us, he doesn't see our past. He sees Christ's path. And so he becomes one with us. Well, let's close our eyes. Maybe you're, you're sitting here this morning, you see those words, you see ugliness. You see death. You see unfaithfulness. You see morality. 
you see alienation from God and you say, Christian, I see that in me. I see ugliness. Maybe you're, you're sitting here this morning and you know, you know that beauty has become way too important in your life. Maybe you sit here and you know you've got a past of sexual immorality and it still eats away. You still feel a part of you was torn from that relationship. And this morning you want to trust God to heal you. Trust God to, to exchange. I want to invite you to stand so we can pray with you. You see a single one of these aspects in yourself. You want to trust God to exchange. Give me Christ. Give me Jesus. Give me His beauty. Give me His eternal life. I invite you to stand. Jesus can heal you this morning. stay standing friends if you in any way feel this morning that there is shame inside of you that there is guilt inside of you that you do not feel one with Christ and you want to feel one with God I invite you to stand awesome praise God I want you to stretch out your hand. All of us with our eyes closed, stretch out our hands. Father, I thank you for every person who's standing here this morning. Thank you that you took our ugliness and you give us your beauty. Thank you that you take our unfaithfulness and you give us your faithfulness. Thank you that sex and marriage is but a signpost that points to a loving God who desires greater union and oneness, a spiritual bond with us that neither sex nor marriage can ever give us. Father, thank you this morning for a view of sexuality and even beauty that you have given us that goes way beyond what we have seen on earth. There's so much more to it. We are one with you. And what is truly beautiful to you, Father, is the character of a person who fears the Lord. It is a person who says, I am the Lord and he is mine. Father, come and heal us this morning. Bring healing right now. Thank you, Lord. You take our fear of death and you give us eternal life. Thank you that you have taken our immorality and this morning you have made us holy. We praise you. We worship you. And we honor you in Jesus' name. And everyone say, Amen. And that concludes today's message. For more information, visit our website at everynationtwane.org forward slash moikluf. That's everynationtwane.org forward slash moikluf. Also, be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Till next time then. Yeah.